All right, we're going to look at the decades uh, a little bit, and I'm going to go through uh, some of the decades and the events that took place, but I'm not going to uh, give you every single detail, so you may still want to look through and read over the PowerPoints. First thing we're going to look at is the 1960s. We have uh, basically ended, for the most part, the Red Scare in America, but we are a full-fledged Cold War aficionados at this point, and we are uh, in a complete race with the Russians to become the most powerful, militarized, weaponized countries in the world. And uh, we're doing everything that we can to beat each other to becoming the biggest and the baddest. Uh, the Russians scared the crap out of us when they beat us to space in 57 with Sputnik uh, and we are uh, trying to vamp up our space age uh, and we will during the 1960s and ultimately land on the moon in 69. Uh, we're going to start 1960 election where the Republicans nominate the Vice President Richard Nixon and the Democrats put up a young popular former military officer John F. Kennedy. Uh, JFK will be a very popular choice. Now he will also be somewhat of a controversial choice uh, because he is uh, Catholic and uh, we're not ready for that or at least most people thought we weren't ready for that but he would be the first non-Protestant um, president to be elected. Kennedy uh, really earned the support of the African-American uh, population when he arranged to have Martin Luther King released uh, from a Georgia jail uh, for having been involved in a protest. Uh, and so we have already seen that shift uh, to the African-Americans, to the Democratic Party, uh, during the uh, Roosevelt uh, presidency and the New Deal and, and all that. As far as popular vote goes, it was a fairly close election. Kennedy just barely edges Nixon by just a little over 100,000 popular votes. However, um, he takes a pretty convincing uh, win in the Electoral College uh, with 303 to 219. However, um, it was a very close election in numbers. Uh, Democrats would also sweep both houses in Congress, although they lost a few seats here and there. Uh, and then JFK, of course, gives his inaugural speech that everybody fell in love with, with the ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country line in there. And, you know, he's got nice hair and all that good stuff and people fall in love with him. The whole Camelot ideology and family. When you look at Kennedy, though, a lot goes wrong during the three short years that he's actually president. Uh, he has some legislative failures. As a matter of fact, JFK is unable to get much through Congress due to resistance from Republicans and conservative Southern Democrats. Uh, Congress ends up blocking plans for federal aid for education, for urban renewal, for medical care, uh, for the age, uh, reductions in income taxes, and the creation of the Department of Urban Affairs. 
Now, Lyndon Johnson, however, would end up pushing most of those through uh, when he becomes president after JFK is assassinated. Uh, minimum wage is actually raised from a dollar to a dollar twenty-five an hour, uh, and extended to over three million more workers uh, through some of the legislation that JFK was able to actually get passed. Uh, and we do see the Area Redevelopment Act of '61, which provides about four hundred million dollars in loans to distressed areas throughout the country. Kennedy would end up going head to head with the uh, steel industry uh, and basically forced uh, the steel industry to turn over uh, a price increase after he stepped in and encouraged laborers to uh, allow lower wages. Uh, the space race again, Kennedy promoted about $24 billion uh, for projects uh, to land America on the moon first. Uh, as early as the, the early 1960s, like I said, we were already behind uh, the Russians in space technology. Um, the 1969 Apollo 11 mission would end up transporting two American astronauts successfully to the moon, and we know those two people to be Neil Armstrong uh, and Buzz Aldrin. And Kennedy would basically um, continue their crusade against organized crime. However, it's kind of ironic that Kennedy's father had somewhat been uh, accused of being in the pocket of several larger organized crime bosses. Uh, JFK and civil rights, um, he really did nothing during his first two years as president. Uh, he actually tried to avoid the issue uh, to keep from uh, losing both white and black voters. He wanted to try to keep as many voters as he could. Uh, and most of the civil rights victories, most of them were just symbolic, uh, to say the least. In his later years in office, although he didn't even make it through his first term, Kennedy would actively pursue civil rights. In June of 63, he federalized the Alabama National Guard to enforce a court order uh, requiring the admission of black students to the University of Alabama. That's where Governor George Wallace symbolically stood in the door, uh, protesting the state's rights were being crushed. Uh, that night, uh, Megger Evans, the NAACP director of Mississippi, was actually assassinated uh, and seen as a retaliation for the whole University of Alabama incident. Uh, in response to that assassination, JFK announced he would send Congress a civil rights bill which would include uh, ways to crush segregation, outlaw discrimination in elections, and give the Justice Department authority to enforce school integration. Uh, March on Washington happens August the 28th, 1963. It's the largest protest in the nation's history uh, with over 200,000 uh, organized marchers uh, on um, Washington. Protesters demanded support for Kennedy's civil rights bill and for better and more equal jobs. And Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. As far as Kennedy's reaction to the Cold War, uh, he kind of had a flexible response. He had actually uh, went on the offensive against Eisenhower, blaming him for uh, what he called the missile gap that favored the Soviet Union. However, once he became president, he actually realized that the gap was in favor of the United States. Even so, though, Kennedy, during his presidency, ordered the buildup of conventional armed forces to help fight 
uh, localized wars in the third world, uh, basically pitting us many times against Soviet-backed uh, rebels. So although, again, we weren't fighting each other directly, we were involved uh, highly in combative terms uh, by supplying the enemy of our enemy. One of the biggest incidents where Kennedy got egg on his face uh, is the Bay of Pigs uh, invasion of Cuba trying to overthrow the Castro regime uh, that had taken uh, control of Castro, uh, excuse me, had taken control of Cuba in 1959 by Castro and his uh, followers. Uh, a lot of people like to blame his brother, Robert, uh, who was Secretary of State at the time, for uh, this disaster, but in reality, it's a little bit of both. Robert and JFK uh, not willing to follow through uh, on their commitment, as well as Robert not having all the information, uh, which you can kind of blame the CIA for in some instances, uh, but the CIA likes to basically blame the administration, saying that they had to put uh, pieces in place, uh, they just failed to use them correctly. So, uh, in April of 1961, uh, rebels trying to overthrow the Castro regime was supposed to be uh, supported and helped out by U.S. troops. But, unfortunately, Castro was able to find out about this scheme uh, several days in advance and was able to kind of uh, maneuver to have a counterattack. He kept his attack secret and uh, basically caught the rebels by surprise, pinned them down on the beach, uh, and America's troops were never sent in to support that when they realized it was pretty much a bloodbath. Um, Kennedy fully took responsibility publicly on national TV for the ill-conceived mission, um, but again, like I said, privately he blamed the CIA for bad information. Uh, even though it was Robert who was relaying that information to him that he had got from, from the CIA. One thing Kennedy sets up is the Peace Corps. Uh, the Peace Corps are a way for Kennedy to kind of send young, uh, vibrant volunteers out into the third world, uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, uh, to help kind of build up the infrastructure of those countries so they can become developing countries and benefit uh, the rest of the world by their contributions. Uh, it's an alternative to military containment of communism. Uh, it's the idea that if we build up that infrastructure uh, and help them be successful, then uh, communism will have no need to come there and people won't want it. Uh, and kind of uh, the idea of uh, continuing the philosophy of the domino theory. If we keep the dominoes from falling, we don't have to worry about it. By 1966, over 15,000 volunteers were serving in over 46 countries. Another failure that a lot of people kind of point out is that the Berlin Wall is built on Kennedy's watch, or at least during started during Kennedy's watch. Uh, from 1949 to 1961, thousands of East Germans uh, fled to West Berlin uh, and basically, you know, trying to escape the uh, concrete uh, ruled fist, iron fist ruling uh, Soviets. Uh, Khrushchev delivered a new ultimatum on Berlin uh, after he saw the U.S. weakness in the Bay of Pigs. Uh, he basically issued the statement that the USSR would give uh, Berlin to East Germany, stripping Western access to Berlin. Uh, 
Kennedy, uh, the U.S., would not abandon West Berlin and decided that we were going to be there whether they wanted us to or not. So the Soviet Union uh, announced increase in defense uh, where Kennedy rebuttaled that with our Congress and asked for $3.2 billion of increased military spending as well. In August of 1961, the Soviet Union builds a wall separating West Berlin from the rest of uh, Berlin and East Germany almost overnight, okay? Uh, the purpose of this was to stem the flow of 100,000 people leaving uh, East Berlin. Kennedy calls up about 1,500 U.S. reserves to reinforce the West German garrisons uh, and basically uh, setting the, the tone for tensions to last for years to come. The Berlin Wall would stand in place and be guarded on both sides heavily uh, by the two different militaries uh, until 1989 when it finally fell under the watchful eyes of Gorbachev. All right, another big disaster or win, however you want to put it, uh, and how you want to look at it under Kennedy's administration is the Cuban Missile Crisis of October of 1962. Uh, a lot of people believe Kennedy was this great president, but in looking at how he dealt with foreign policy in foreign countries, especially the Soviet Union, his administration literally brought us on the brink of nuclear war. Uh, in October of 1962. We got information that Khrushchev and the Soviet Union had basically put uh, Soviet-built and owned missiles in Cuba. Um, no, we know that Cuba is only about 90 miles off the Florida coast, therefore these Soviet missiles would have no problem uh, reaching the United States and causing uh, a lot of damage if used, okay? Only the Pacific Northwest of the United States would be out of range from these Soviet missiles. So on October the 14th, uh, U.S. aerial photographs actually reveal that it is true uh, Russians are secretly speeding up installing nuclear missiles here. We realized that our attack time would uh, cut down from 30 minutes to 2 minutes if they decided to launch it. So the crisis goes something like this as far as timeline goes. Uh, October 14th, we realized that the Soviet Union is ramping up its nuclear missiles uh, and putting them in different places. Uh, we realized that they have put missiles in Cuba. October 22nd, JFK orders a naval quarantine in Cuba and demanded immediate removal of the Soviet missiles uh, from Cuba. Kennedy also stated any attack by Cuba on the U.S. or any other Latin American country would result in a full retaliatory response on the Soviet Union. All right. Uh, Kennedy rejected uh, surgical bombing strikes against missiles uh, launching sites, fearing it might actually end up meaning war. Um, also rejected a U.S. invasion of Cuba uh, and really was trying to uh, be tough but not overly tough to incite the Soviet Union to do something stupid. Kennedy also places all U.S. forces on full alert. For a full week, the world is basically enthralled with this kind of chess match between the Soviet Union and the United States. Uh, any attack by the U.S. would trigger war between the U.S. and USSR. 
October the 24th, 16 Soviet ships stopped just before they reached the blockade. Uh, and on October the 26th, Khrushchev agreed to remove missiles if the U.S. removed its own missiles from Turkey and vowed not to attack Cuba. Uh, this agreement publicly favored Kennedy as the U.S. quietly pulled its Turkish missiles out six months later. Um, really what it was was Kennedy and Khrushchev literally having people in back rooms uh, working out a deal so they could both save face. Neither one of them wanted to go to war with each other because they knew it would be completely destructive. Uh, and they were trying to find a way out, but they couldn't look weak. After this military crisis and this kind of buildup of what could be, uh, the United States and the Soviet Union realized that they had to have a better plan. They put in a direct line of communication between the White House and Moscow, uh, literally a phone that you could pick up and get Moscow at any hour of the day on a direct line. They also uh, come together to start working out ideas uh, to try to uh, get nuclear test ban treaties uh, and uh, and the agreement to reduce the amount of nuclear weapons being made and stored. We would never know whether Kennedy would end up being a good president or not because unfortunately on November the 22nd, 1963, JFK is assassinated in Dallas, Texas uh, while on a parade route in downtown. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was said to have been the assassin. Uh, there is question and uh, mystique surrounding this, uh, but there is proof that Lee Harvey Oswald was working with the Russians uh, as a Russian spy who um, had denounced his American citizenship, uh, but we will never know for sure because Lee Harvey Oswald later that night was killed by Jack Ruby while being uh, taken from the police station in Dallas. All right, so then Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, his vice president, will be sworn in aboard uh, Air Force One. Uh, and there's a famous photograph of him being sworn in with uh, Kennedy's wife, Jackie, standing beside uh, as a witness with brain matter and blood still on her nice dress. Unlike Kennedy, Johnson is a real in-your-face SOB type of guy. He's a Texan. Uh, and he comes to the presidency as a Texan. And he basically uh, claims and rallies that he is going to continue Kennedy's legacy uh, and dream of making the country better. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson is, uh, by all rights, a proponent of civil rights. However, uh, he had his own agenda and was not necessarily interested in the national agenda or at least in pushing the national agenda before his in the civil rights movement. Uh, he wanted to uh, fight poverty in the country. Uh, he wanted to cut taxes. Uh, he had this ambition for a great society. All this uh, goes on. Under Johnson's watchful eyes, we would see the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We would see the uh, 1963 Voting Rights Act. We would see affirmative action. Uh, we would also see the escalation of Vietnam. 
which is why Johnson would become a very unpopular president and why the Republicans would be able to take the election when Johnson decides not to run for a second full term. He would only finish out Kennedy's last year or so and run for one term of his own. Uh, Vietnam would be his undoing. During Johnson's administration, you're going to see uh, civil rights movements. Uh, you're going to see protests, the Bloody Sunday uh, bridge um, incident in Birmingham, Alabama. You're going to uh, see the assassination of Malcolm X. Uh, protest movements by Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Stokey Carmichael. You'll see the Freedom Riders. Uh, all these different things that go on that push Johnson in certain directions when it comes to civil rights. Uh, he will butt heads with George Wallace quite a bit uh, during his time as well. All right, one of the groups that kind of go against Johnson and would continue against Nixon would be the countercultural group that rises up uh, kind of from the baby boomers. This is the hippie generation. Um, raised, you know, a lot of them are, are middle class individuals who were raised in, in a two-parent middle class family, uh, but kind of began to rebel against the, the normalcy that was there, against the structure. Uh, and a lot of students who were going to college uh, got involved in uh, these movements during the 1960s. And this counterculture would end up uh, changing society in the United States quite a bit. There was this new left. Uh, by the mid-1960s, uh, a majority of Americans were now under the age of 30. Uh, universities, who had once primarily only been a place of learning, uh, became perceived as bureaucracies uh, and indifferent to students' needs. Uh, this movement, this group, uh, not only went after the government as kind of the, the, the norm or the man uh, or the structure, but they went after any structure that they felt uh, was not conducive to listening uh, and giving uh, voice to their thoughts. Much like the culture today, except it wasn't so much a cancel culture as we have. All right, during the 1960s, we would also see uh, the Warring Court uh, come into, um, you know, its own. Uh, and there, the Supreme Court is marked by several periods. And the Warren period, uh, we saw um, kind of a resurgence of the court standing up for individual rights and liberties. Uh, you know, you have Gideon versus Wainwright in 1963 that established the principle that all people uh, deserve a fair and equal trial. And that's where the whole, uh, if you cannot afford a lawyer, uh, a lawyer will be appointed for you. Uh, you got the Escobedo versus Illinois case in 64. It ruled that one has the right to a lawyer from the time of arrest. Uh, and become a subject of criminal investigation. You got Miranda versus Arizona, uh, which is passed in 66. Uh, it basically requires the police to um, inform the person of their rights at the time of their arrest uh, if they plan on using uh, anything uh, that the person says or does against them. 
we've got school prayer in 62, uh, which basically uh, the court uh, says that mandatory school prayer uh, is um, not allowed because it is an infringement on the First Amendment right of freedom of religion, uh, and that because of the separation of church and state or the establishment clause in the Constitution, a government body such as a school cannot force a religion on anyone and cannot have one religion over the other. You got Brown versus Board of Education, uh, which would desegregate schools in 1954. You've got um, reapportionment cases that come to the Supreme Court uh, where you have the Supreme Court saying one person should equal one vote. Uh, so although it does not outlaw gerrymandering, it does set the guidelines for what is allowed when drawing district lines. Women's rights are extended, um, you know, uh, and women began counting the feminist movement during this uh, time period as well. Although Johnson was beaten and bruised by the time his presidency was over because of Vietnam, uh, Johnson's legacy really is that of... Uh, showing compassion for the poor, uh, ill-educated minorities, uh, especially with the achievements that he was able to get pushed through in his first three years in office. Unfortunately, the, the whole escalation of Vietnam and as deep as we got into Vietnam would be the black mark that he was really left with and kind of uh, how most people remember Johnson's presidency to begin with. So in talking about Vietnam, I'm not going to spend too much time in the podcast uh, talking about it because you can read uh, that and there are some things that you'll need to look at, uh, such as the different strategies used by the different administrations that were involved in Vietnam, starting with Kennedy through Johnson and then Nixon, uh, you know, how those strategies differed, how we ended up with such a large escalation into that war with so many American soldiers uh, involved. And in, in reality, in looking at that, uh, what we're looking at is seeing um, just how the idea of war changed from World War One all the way through this, because now we're fighting a limited war, and we're not really necessarily trying to win, we're trying to hang on, uh, and it's not real good strategy in the long run. Obviously, didn't work for the British in the Revolutionary War or the War of 1812. All right, so as I said, Johnson decides not to run for a second full term, although he was eligible. Uh, and so the election of 1968 is, is kind of a uh, turning point in American history. Uh, Robert F. Kennedy, who was uh, JFK's brother and his Secretary of State, uh, while he served, uh, was actually going to win, it looked like, the Democratic uh, nomination. Uh, and he had uh, won the California primary over Eugene McCarthy. Uh, however, he would be assassinated while running for president. This pretty much assured uh, Herbert Humphrey, the uh, vice president under Johnson, uh, the nomination. And he would run against Richard Nixon uh, with his running mate, Spear Agnew. And then you would also have uh, Governor George Wallace of Alabama from the American Independent Party. Yes, the racist himself was going to run for president. He would later be assassinated too, but um, not before he had the opportunity to run for president. 
as we know, Nixon would take this election, and uh, he defeats Humphrey by 1% of the popular vote. Uh, and the Electoral College was about 301 to 191. Congress remains Democratic uh, with, you know, not a whole lot of seats changing hands. Uh, Nixon is pretty much a minority president with no clear mandate to do anything because he doesn't have a Congress that's willing to work with him very much. One of the reasons Nixon was able to get elected uh, was his stance on Vietnam. Uh, in 1969, Nixon publicly claimed he had a secret plan for ending the war. Uh, he didn't, uh, and it would actually go on for four more years uh, prior to um, pulling American soldiers out. In reality, Nixon vamps it up, sending even more troops uh, to Vietnam during those four uh, years. The Vietnamization, uh, Nixon called it, uh, was the call for withdrawal of the U.S. troops in South Vietnam over a period of time. Uh, and then we would send South Vietnam U.S. money and weapons and training to help them fight their own war. This didn't work. To make matters worse, Nixon's losing the uh, war in Vietnam on the home front. Uh, the Pentagon Papers get leaked in 1971, uh, which is basically a um, set of top secret documents that kind of chronicled and uh, editorialized the war effort during the Johnson years. Uh, the New York Times published these. Uh, these classified documents revealed that the government had misled Congress and the American people regarding its intentions in Vietnam during the 1960s. Uh, the whole primary reason that we had given for fighting uh, was to eliminate communism, but in reality, it wasn't to uh, eliminate communism, but uh, to avoid a humiliating defeat. Uh, we actually got into Vietnam on our own terms by intentionally sending uh, warships on patrols in uh, the uh, Viet Cong Delta or up the Ho Chi Minh River, or at least what would later become known as the Ho Chi Minh River. With America already distrusting uh, the government, especially those of the counterculture, which was still alive and strong, uh, also adding to that the Black Panther Party, uh, and other organizations that had a, a huge distrust of the government, uh, the printing of these papers was not well received by the American public uh, and called into question the uh, power and the abuse of which of the U.S. government. The last U.S. troops would leave Vietnam in uh, 1975 and the uh, literally uh, as the last U.S. helicopter is taking off uh, Ho Chi Minh and the North Vietnamese Army are marching into uh, Saigon and they would take over and rename the, the city Ho Chi Minh City. Uh, and it was a loss, not because of the U.S. soldiers, but because of how the U.S. government uh, dealt with the war. The cost of Vietnam, over 58,000 dead Americans, 300,000 wounded, and over 2,500 missing in action. Over 2 million Vietnamese were dead, uh, with over 300,000 missing in action uh, South Vietnamese. Uh, $150 billion spent on the war, uh, rather than on social programs and domestic use. Uh, and then a large percentage of Americans came to distrust the government, and that would continue with, you know, no 
um, discretion uh, by Nixon because he would be one of the main reasons that the people would even get further to distrusting the U.S. government. I'm not sure if you've noticed this or not, but I kind of secretly slipped already into the 1970s by now. Uh, so uh, really in the 1970s, at least the early parts, 1971 through 75, is dealing primarily with uh, Vietnam and really probably from 65 up to 75 is primary in Vietnam as well as domestic uh, home front stuff. Uh, one of the policies of the Nixon administration when he takes office in 68 and up through his terms as president uh, is uh, what we call detente. Okay, detente is uh, a noun and it basically means the easing of hostility or strained relations uh, between countries. Uh, and Nixon and his administration would make a serious effort at detente. Uh, towards the Eastern Bloc. They're trying to smooth out or at least defrost the relationship that we have with the Eastern Bloc or the Soviet control Iran country. Nixon felt that the Soviet Union and China basically arguing back and forth over the different versions of communism that they both felt was good would kind of give the U.S. the advantage of uh, being able to work out um, deals with either one of them, being able to play one off the other. Um, and really uh, used, I mean, Nixon was a politician. Nixon would shake your hand with one hand and steal your wallet with the other. Uh, he knew how to walk the political line very well, or at least he thought he did in many instances. He would let his uh, political ego get ahead of him, though, and would end up causing his downfall with the whole Watergate scandal. Both Nixon and uh, his guy Kissinger went to China in 1972 to meet with Mao Zedong and his associates. Uh, we actually recognized China. The U.S. agreed to support China's admission to the United Nations and to pursue economic and cultural exchanges, which is kind of ironic since China is a communist country, uh, but we are willing to negotiate and at least come to the table to talk, which reverses the U.S. policy of not recognizing the Chinese Revolution in 1949. Uh, and so in 1979, we officially recognized China. Uh, the Soviet Union in the taunt uh, really is kind of sticky because Czechoslovakia is invaded by the Soviets uh, in 1968, uh, and this is not good. Uh, the U.S. is preoccupied in Vietnam, so we basically can do little to help the Czechs out, and the Soviets are able to walk in there uh, fairly easy. Uh, not only does Nixon visit China in 72, he also goes to Moscow uh, and he plays his China card with the Kremlin. Uh, the Soviets wanted U.S. foodstuffs and uh, also feared that an intensified rivalry with a U.S. backed China could be detrimental to them and their cause as well. Um, this would lead to talks between the United States and Russia again uh, to diminish the amount of nuclear. Uh, arms and Nixon would fly to Russia and sign a treaty uh, that would actually reduce the amount of nuclear arms that the countries were allowed to have. 
this first treaty is known as SALT, the Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty. It's signed in May of 72 uh, between the United States and the United Soviet States of Russia, or Soviet Union, USSR. Uh, they agreed to stop making nuclear ballistic missiles and to reduce the number of anti-ballistic missiles to 200 for each power. Uh, treaty is basically uh, mute by the U.S. development of uh, what we call MIRVs, which is multiple independently targeted targeted re-entry vehicles. Uh, basically, one missile could carry uh, many warheads. Uh, so, yeah, we signed it, and then we turn around, and we basically um, figure out another way to maximize our warheads on uh, missiles. And, you know, the USSR does the same thing. And by 1990s, uh, both the U.S. and Soviets have nearly 20,000 warheads that they can attach to missiles. For the most part, detente uh, was successful overall as the U.S. basically checkmated and co-opted the two great communist powers into helping end the Vietnam War. Uh, even though it did not end the arms race, uh, it did bring about some benefits. Unfortunately, during Nixon's early years, uh, we will end up in an energy crisis, and a lot of that is caused because of uh, America or the United States support of Israel when both um, Egypt and Syria decide to uh, attack Israel. We send troops and weapons uh, to help money to help their cause. Uh, and the OPEC countries, which is the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, uh, that included Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, and Iran, uh, basically put uh, oil embargoes on those countries that supported Israel, raised the prices of oil from about $3 um, to about $11.65 uh, a barrel in an attempt to force U.S. Uh, to recognize the um, PLO, or what is known as the Palestine Liberation Organization. Uh, we refused, and again, uh, this ends up causing an energy crisis in the United States uh, that would not be completely over for quite some time. Now, what this does is, not only does it, you know, jack the price of oil up, which jacks the price of gas up, but it comes at a terrible time for the U.S. economy. We're facing stagnation and stagflation, uh, and we are not doing real well. Because of the energy crisis and the oil production, we see uh, cars begin to be uh, forsaken of the big American cars for, you know, muscle cars to the smaller foreign counterparts. Uh, we, for the first time, see these cars entering into America very popularly because of their gas mileage. Now, Nixon being a Republican, not nearly as friendly uh, on civil rights as his predecessor, uh, he actually sought to block the Renewal of the Voting Rights Act uh, and delayed implementation of a court-ordered school desegregation in Mississippi. Um, really, Nixon uh, furthered uh, affirmative action by establishing goals and timetables for companies to hire women and minorities, but his heart wasn't necessarily in it. Um, again, uh, he would point Warren E. Berger, a conservative as Chief Justice, to the Supreme Court. And although Berger is more conservative than Warren, uh, Berger Court would actually hand down some of the uh, decisions that would limit uh, 
the government's right to do things. For instance, uh, it would be the Burger Court that declared the death penalty, uh, and not the death penalty itself, but how the death penalty was being used um, as unconstitutional in 1972, which would lead the United States into a moratorium uh, or basically a um, cooling off period of the death penalty until they could decide how to fairly and equally uh, distribute the death penalty uh, based on uh, the criteria of the case and not necessarily on race. Uh, Roe versus Wade, 1973, uh, right to privacy, which would legalize abortion in the United States of America, is also handed down by the Burger Court, even though he was supposed to be a, a conservative uh, chief justice. Uh, 18 year olds are actually extended the right to vote uh, with the 27th, or excuse me, 26th Amendment in 1971. Uh, basically, the main reason for this is at the height of Vietnam, uh, we're sending our boys over there to fight and to be killed, uh, and they can't even vote for the person they're sending over there. So uh, they gave 18 year olds the right to vote. Uh, Social Security benefits and funding for food stamps increased in 1970. Uh, and then OSHA is created as well uh, by Congress, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Act, which is the association and uh, department of the government that is in charge of making sure that workers are safe in their um, jobs. Earth Day is created April the 22nd, 1970. Hello, we are looking at Earth Day tomorrow, and this would be the... 52nd year of Earth Day. So plant a tree, do what you gotta do. All right, not only have we developed nuclear weapons, but we've also uh, developed nuclear power plants. However, uh, there would be some protest over nuclear power towards the end of the 70s uh, because of incidences like Three Mile Island, which happened in March of 1979 in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, pretty much the worst nuclear disaster in U.S. history. Uh, core released radioactive water and steam. Uh, officials feared massive radiation release. However, it never came about. Um, the reactor was shut down for six years. Uh, and over 100,000 residents evacuated just in case. Um, now, again, this is our oops, but it's nothing compared to uh, other nuclear oopses in other countries such as uh, Chernobyl, um, fallout in the Soviet Union, as well as uh, Japanese fallouts uh, in other places. I mentioned that by the 1970s with the Vietnam War going on, uh, the economy was not doing very well. Unemployment had climbed to over 6% in 1970, while real gross national product had declined. Um, we saw inflation reach 12% by 1971, and the cost of living more than tripled from 1969 to 1981, the longest and steepest inflationary cycle in U.S. history. Um, Nixon would actually cut spending in 69 and raise taxes uh, and try to encourage the Federal Reserve Board to raise interest rates, uh, but the economy only grew worse. In 1971, Nixon announced a 90-day price and wage freeze that finally took the U.S. completely off the gold standard. Uh, at the end of the 90 days, he established mandatory guidelines for wages and price increases um, and basically uh, inflation just continued to increase. 
and as it did, Nixon would cut back on government expenditures, uh, refusing to spend funds that had already been appropriated by Congress. Uh, this was called impounding funds, which was not a very uh, popular idea with the Democrats or many Republicans. Uh, because they felt that Congress had already approved the spending, the money was there, theoretically, uh, it should be dealt with. Inflation was at 11% by 1964. Industry had slowed down. Unemployment rate hits up over 9% in 1975. Uh, and this would continue to be known as stagflation and would not only, you know, basically doom the Nixon administration, but it would also plague the Ford and Carter administration as well. All right, so the 1972 election is actually a landslide victory for Nixon, which is 520 electoral votes to 17. And he took a 47.1 million popular vote to 29.1 million. Um, however, the Republicans would lose uh, in both houses of Congress, um, reduced Nixon's mandate for his policies, uh, and again found Nixon working with uh, you know, an anti-Republican Congress for the most part. Um, in 72 uh, is when uh, they really start to turn on Nixon as far as what's going on. And one reason for that is uh, the Watergate scandal will not be far behind to break. All right, so the Watergate scandal is probably the biggest presidential scandal in U.S. history and would end up ultimately forcing Nixon to resign. Um, Really, Nixon was scared that he was not going to win the election of 72, and he secretly planned to attack political opponents. Um, what ends up happening is, in 1971, Nixon's men uh, was able to gather a list of 200 individuals and 18 organizations that the administration kind of regarded as enemies. Um, this included people like Edward Kennedy, McGovern, uh, entire black leaderships in the House of Representatives, uh, college presidents, different actors such as Steve McQueen, Paul Newman, Jane Fonda, who were all known to be liberal and anti-Vietnam, um, 57 members of the Congress. It was almost like a, a rebirth of McCarthyism in a way, uh, but this was kind of a clandestine uh, op at first. And... Um, Nixon basically asked the FBI to spy on these individuals and try to discredit them, uh, ordered the IRS to harass them with tax audits and withholdings and everything else uh, that they could do legally and somewhat illegally. Um, the FBI blocked an illegal Nixon plan for secret police operation, however, uh, saying that it was un-American for the most part. Uh, and basically, it would have included the FBI, the CIA, the NSC, and military intelligence um, going after American citizens, which we know the federal government is not supposed to do. Now, those would be set aside, though, after the 2001 uh, attacks, and the Patriot Act would be signed, but that's a whole different story for another day. One of the main reasons Nixon had worried about the 72 election is that the Republican gained very little um, control in the, the Senate or the House uh, in the 1970 midterm elections, uh, and they gained really no power. So he set up uh, what became known as Creep, which is a pretty good name for this, uh, but it was the committee to re-elect the president. Now, 
Um, what this did was create a massive illegal fundraising campaign. Uh, money was actually set aside in a special fund to pay for dirty tricks, which is ironic since uh, Nixon's nickname was Tricky Dicky. So let's get the Watergate real quick. Summer of 72. Uh, some burglars were hired by Creep uh, to break into the Democratic National Headquarters at the Watergate Hotel in Washington, D.C. However, they were caught. Nixon's and his aides denied any involvement in the break-in uh, and basically embarked on a massive cover-up with the public um, to kind of clear their good name. Originally, the public believed them, but as time went on, more and more evidence came out uh, against the Nixon administration. Um, Washington Post journalist uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein uh, broke the story. Investigations revealed that two of Watergate burglars and a White House aide involved in the burglary were employees of Creep. Uh, and as they dug deeper, they found even more illegal activities um, and payments of, of hush money uh, out there. In 1973, Watergate trial uh, basically went before Senate hearings and revealed Nixon and other White House officials uh, had used their power to cover up their involvement. Uh, Nixon would eventually have to announce his resignation as the President of the United States, leaving embarrassed but still intact. Uh, Gerald Ford, his Vice President at the time, his third Vice President, by the way, would take office and would quickly pardon him, um, leaving Nixon unable to be touched. All right, so the, basically what you need to look at at this point uh, is kind of the um, imperial presidency. Uh, I'm going to throw this out at the end of this podcast so that you know that you need to look into it. Uh, it's the idea of from World War II up through um, several presidents afterwards, uh, the presidency would gain power, uh, basically adding to its powers uh, by either executive orders or just being allowed to do things by Congress. Uh, but, you know, basically going far and beyond what Article 2 of the Constitution had ever fully legally allowed. Uh, so make sure you read up on the imperial presidency and kind of the, the gist behind that. All right, so in reality, President Ford is president for like a day. Uh, no, literally, he's president from August of 74. Uh, up until Jimmy Carter wins the presidential election and gets sworn in uh, in 1976. Technically, he's elected in 76. You know how it goes. He's sworn in in 77. Um, Ford does run for re-election, but he doesn't even come where close. Again, he is basically just a holding place uh, for the Nixon administration after them leaving. Um, he's kind of a, what I like to call a beige president. The only thing he's really uh, remembered for is falling down the steps of Air Force One twice. Um, he thought of himself uh, much higher than most American people did. Uh, he actually is the only person to serve as president of the United States who and vice president of the United States and was never elected to either office. Uh, he was appointed both times. So uh, there's the irony there. Uh, the other irony is that Ford would actually edge out Reagan 
1976 for the Republican nomination uh, and then would lose the race, uh, presidential race, to Jimmy Carter. Now, the one thing we can say about Jimmy Carter is he is a very nice guy. Uh, as far as presidencies go, uh, Carter would be faced with much of the same problems that the Nixon and Ford administration faced with stagflation, the economy, energy crisis, um, and for the most part, uh, other than setting up the Department of Energy and working out a uh, hostage negotiation with Iran, really not a whole lot on his presidential resume. And so um, he would create the Department of Energy in 1977 uh, to kind of look at new and renewable energy resources. We continue that fight to this day. Uh, and then uh, lastly, uh, he would look at uh, deregulation, but it wouldn't be until Reagan uh, that we truly start to deregulate many of the industries, uh, such as the airline industry, the train industry, the trucking industry, and, the, and, and even the power or electric industry. Um, we would also set up uh, the Peacetime Draft Registration or the Selective Service Act under Carter uh, for just in case. Um, no one has actually been drafted since we started the Selective Service Act. However, all males 18 years of age have to register for the Selective Service. If not, they can be punished by uh, $250,000 fine and 10 years in prison. Now, foreign policy under Carter, again, uh, he is known as humanitarian. He is a very well-respected diplomat. Um, however, again, um, he, he did not go out of his way to uh, put other countries in their place necessarily. Uh, he did verbally lash out at Cuba and Uganda for human rights violations. Uh, he would cut foreign aid to Uruguay, Argentina, and Ethiopia. Uh, he um, denounced apartheid, uh, and you know he did not punish South Korea or the Philippines uh, for uh, any of their uh, stuff as well. So um, you know his humanitarian diplomacy though was pretty much ineffective because we didn't have any might to make right behind that. Uh, we end up with a Panama Canal Treaty. Uh, which would actually end up turning Panama Canal back over to uh, the Panamanian government in 1999. Uh, he does uh, basically oversee the Camp David Accords in 1978, uh, which is probably perhaps his greatest known accomplishment. Um, it was basically a peace accord um, that would uh, kind of, uh, for at least stall, uh, any uh, imminent threats between Egypt and Israel. Uh, after 13 days, uh, Carter does actually persuade uh, the president um, of Egypt and the prime minister uh, of um, Israel uh, to sign a peace agreement uh, and kind of um, get, get things going in the right direction. Uh, we would have fought, we would actually sign SALT II uh, under Carter, which uh, basically um, would be a continuation of um, 
getting uh, the dearmament of both the U.S. and the Soviet Union. However, uh, SALT II would never be signed by the U.S. Senate uh, because before it can be approved and signed, uh, the Soviet Union would invade Afghanistan, which would lead um, to the end of detente in December of 1979. And um, basically, Carter stands up and says that the United States would end up using any means necessary, including force, to protect the Persian Gulf against the Soviet Union if they decided to come even further. Uh, because of this, um, we stopped the shipments of grain uh, and uh, technology to the USSR. Uh, we withdrew from the uh, SALT II, uh, and we boycotted the 1980 uh, Summer Olympics that were held in Moscow. Uh, basically, in retaliation, Moscow figured they would show us, and they boycotted the 1984 Olympics in Los Angeles. Way to show us, Russia, not showing up with your athletes. Ooh. The other thing that Carter is probably most well known for and the biggest crisis of Carter's presidency uh, is probably what cost him the election in 1980. Um, he was a popular guy, but the way that the Iranian... Um, revolution took place and the hostage situation uh, would basically kind of sour America on his nice guy uh, tactics. In 1978, basically a revolution forced the Shah of Iran to flee the country. The Ayatollah, uh, a religious leader, became Iran's leader. Uh, Iran to this day is the closest thing that they have to a theocracy uh, in the modern world for the most part. Uh, Revolutionaries under the Ayatollah basically called the U.S. the Great Satan for support of money and arms to the Shah of Iran. Um, the CIA had secretly, or not secretly, but had helped uh, the Shah to power in 1953 uh, when it helped overthrow the previous um, leader there. Basically what ends up happening is Carter allows the Shah to come to the U.S. for medical treatment in October of 79, uh, after the Shah was in exile. In response to this, about 400 Iranians, many of them students, broke into the U.S. Embassy in Tehran on November the 4th and basically took its occupants captive. Uh, they demanded that the Shah be returned to Iran for a trial uh, and that his wealth be confiscated and given to Iran. Carter, in return, decided, nope, not going to happen. He froze Iranian assets in the U.S. and established a trade embargo against them. Um, Iranians eventually freed the black and women hostages, but kept 52 other American hostages, all white males. Uh, in April of 1980, Carter ordered a Marine rescue attempt, but it failed after several helicopters broke down and another crash, killing eight men. Again, at this time, we are not equipped to fight a desert war. Trust me, our helicopters uh, did not do well over there. Uh, Carter perceived as weak and indecisive and ineffective uh, for not being able to bring an end to the crisis situation in what the American people felt was a timely manner. And because of that, he would suffer in the 1980 election. Um, Iran would eventually release the hostages after over a year. They had had them for over 444 days. Um, after an extensive no negotiation with Carter, 
uh, Iran would finally release them um, on January the 20th, 1980. As a final result, though, um, and as a kind of a final insult to Carter, hostages were released after Reagan took his inaugural oath um, so that Carter did not necessarily get the credit for solving it during his presidency. So in the 1980 election, we know that Reagan takes uh, the win and a convincing win, 489 electoral votes to 49. And Reagan got over 51% of the vote, um, which is pretty good. Uh, Republicans actually end up gaining control of the Senate for the first time in 25 years. And we would usher in a uh, conservative era uh, during what we call the Reagan Revolution, uh, that would actually continue to the mid-1990s um, when Clinton would be in power uh, in 1992. All right, Reagan was a no-nonsense kind of a leader. His rhetoric about the Cold War and towards the Soviet Union was fairly harsh. Um, we were really severely upset with the uh, Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in 79, uh, and basically, we sought to push the Soviets not only out of Afghanistan, uh, but we also sought to push the, the Soviets back out of uh, being a powerful and uh, affirmative enemy. Um, October of 1981, Reagan seemed to endorse the concept that the U.S. might actually go to war with the Soviets in what was considered a limited nuclear war on European soil. Um, Obviously, as you can imagine, many Europeans, uh, Western Europeans, as well as some of the Eastern ones, were quite horrified that this was even being considered. Reagan would be a perfect example of the imperial presidency. Uh, he would extend his power. Uh, he would build the United States military to its largest uh, in history uh, at the time, uh, especially during peacetime. Uh, he diverted uh, funds and weapons uh, to different places as he saw uh, needed as his way of dealing with uh, the Cold War and the Soviet Union. Uh, he would go head-to-head -head with Gorbachev, who was the Soviet leader, uh, and basically instruct him, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall, uh, trying to bring an end to the Cold War and to the uh, Berlin Wall in Germany. Uh, but the biggest thing that would probably come out of the Reagan administration is the Iran-Contra scandal, which was in 1987. Now, let me tell you, as a 10-year-old in 1987, watching this Iran-Contra scandal play out on television was not good, uh, not because I was scared, but because, you know, we didn't have cable. We only had four channels, and this thing was in the summertime on every channel all day long okay and so basically what happened was the um, Reagan administration was actually accused of diverting money from secret sale of weapons to Iran and Nicaraguan uh, Contras um, which uh, spoiler alert we actually did uh, but Congress had basically especially forbidden the US money to be sent to the Contras to the rebels in these two places became probably the biggest scandal of the Reagan administration and kind of weakened Reagan's influence and kind of put a dent in his um, kind of mystique. Uh, 
Oliver North, the General Oliver North, would actually be the one who's kind of used as a scapegoat. Uh, it would end his military career. Um, George Bush would actually be elected president uh, after Reagan, who was Reagan's vice president, but really shouldn't have come out of it completely unscathed uh, because he had led the CIA for quite some time and was partly responsible for putting Emmanuel Noriega in charge of Nicaragua uh, and basically using him to his needs uh, until he was no longer useful uh, and then sent, you know, troops in to basically uh, arrest him or basically capture him. Uh, many of the um, selling and manipulation of funds and weapons to these Contras were done under his watchful eye. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we've been known to use back doors and, uh, you know, black markets to get what we need in the United States or at least help people that we, we know uh, use black markets to get what they need. Again, the enemy of my enemies, my friend. Uh, sometimes it's got to get worse before it gets better. Uh, we would see a buildup of uh, tensions between the United States and the Soviet Union during Reagan's uh, early years uh, and middle years. Uh, Reagan basically was a no-nonsense, take-no-crap-off-of-anybody type of president. So when uh, the Soviet Union or their, you know, um, brother countries or nephew countries, whatever you want to call them, those that were under uh, Soviet kind of leadership uh, would do something or step across the boundaries. Uh, Reagan would impose economic sanctions and threaten uh, to use military action if needed uh, and would chastise publicly uh, as well as economically to, um, you know, get what uh, they felt was a proper response. For instance, in September of 1983, the Soviets blew uh, a Korean airliner carrying hundreds of civilians, including many Americans, out of the sky. Uh, basically, the plane had accidentally veered off into uh, Soviet airspace, and so they shot it down. Uh, this basically caused the United States and the Soviet Union to break off uh, diplomatic relations for the most part. All arms control negotiations with Russia were broken off. Um, Reagan gave an evil empire speech and called the USSR the evil empire and the forces of evil in the modern world. Obviously, that ain't going to go over with your enemy. Uh, and then he basically used this to justify his military buildup, uh, spending you know billions of dollars to uh, build the United States military up so that we could uh, thwart uh, aggressive Soviet Union behavior. Reagan would face uh, Middle Eastern foreign policy challenges as well with Lebanon. Uh, we basically sent Marines to Lebanon in 1983 as part of an international peacekeeping force after uh, Israel was attacked again, or Israeli troops attacked uh, Palestine uh, in Lebanon, and this caused chaos throughout the Middle East. Uh, in October of uh, 83, a suicide bomber crashed his truck into uh, a U.S. Marine barracks, killing 241 Marines. Uh, Reagan would pull the remaining American troops out um, from this area, and really, uh, the American people uh, kind of celebrated that, and uh, he did not take uh, as much flack or damage to his reputation or his presidency as many would have thought. Um, for this uh, kind of loss, in a sense, uh, which kind of got him the nickname of the Teflon President. Uh, nothing that happened can hurt him. Um, you know, there are 
Uh, we did. We retaliated though, with the bombing of Libya. Uh, Reagan ordered the bombing of uh, Libya in '86 in retaliation for alleged Libyan-sponsored bombing of West Berlin. Um, and then uh, I kind of mentioned in class the other day uh, we would go after uh, Gaddafi, uh, who was a long sponsor of terrorism throughout the Middle East and in the United States. Uh, and we would basically blow up three of his houses, killing most of his family. All right. Ironically, the U.S. would back Iraq in an Iraq and Iran war in the 1970s. Um, and so uh, we actually would back Saddam Hussein uh, as um, the leader in Iraq uh, during this time period. Now, again, uh, we kind of kept Saddam on a tight leash, uh, but we didn't mind putting people we didn't necessarily trust in places of power if we thought we could control them many times though this has turned around and bit us in the um, backside all right reagan like i said would lead us kind of to the end of the cold war in 1985 um mikhail gorbachev would become uh the president of the uh soviet union uh and he kind of was a reform-minded guy he allowed for free speech uh, he basically turned it over to a capitalist economy uh, through some reforms and began to allow some democracy. Uh, Gorbachev starts reaching out to the West, uh, trying to get in the good graces of so many of the Western powers, uh, seeking, uh, you know, uh, INFs, which was basically intermediate range nuclear forces treaties. Um, the INF Treaty signed in Washington, D.C. in December of 87, after two years of negotiations, basically said that all intermediate-range nuclear missiles from Europe are banned, um, a huge break in the Cold War, and Reagan and Gorbachev began um, to negotiate kind of a piece of this. Um, and they both kind of agreed that a nuclear war could not be won by either side, therefore it could not be fought by either side, because it would basically be the destruction of everything that we know. So the Iron Curtain, uh, or at least a symbol of the Iron Curtain, fell in 1989. Um, you know, and basically uh, many of the countries that the Soviet Union had taken over uh, were allowed to kind of um, initiate their own sovereignty and freedom. And again, um, you know, you've got Hungary uh, in October. The Berlin Wall is torn down in November. Bulgaria also uh, receives their freedom in November. Czechoslovakia uh, in December and Romania in December as well. However, the Romanian Revolution is probably the most violent of the 1989 European revolutions. Under his successor, George Bush, uh, him and Gorbachev agreed to uh, dramatic cutbacks in, in nuclear weapons. Uh, we signed the START uh, Treaty, which is a strategic arms reduction treaty, uh, which basically uh, would cut 10% of U.S. nuclear weapons and 25% of Soviet nukes and limit um, the other types of warheads to about 1,100 each. Uh, later treaty called for 50% reductions within a few years. Uh, American analysis began discussing possible peace uh, divided, which could be used for social programs uh, and rebuilding infrastructure between uh, those countries who had been damaged before the Cold War.
the ultimate fall of the Soviet Union in December of 1991 uh, resulted in the official end of the Cold War. Um, but again, the Berlin Wall is oftentimes uh, seen as the symbolic falling in the end of the Cold War. All right, to end this discussion, uh, Reagan's economic legacy uh, would also um, kind of plague us uh, for quite some time. Uh, the national debt tripled from about $1 billion in 1980 to about $3 billion in 1988. Uh, deficits did not begin to diminish until Clinton's presidency in the mid-1990s. Um, and the debt was kind of serendipitous for conservatives uh, because what it ended up doing was reduce the growth of government uh, and led to cuts in social spending uh, since less money was available for the government to spend. Uh, they would enjoy this again until... Uh, Clinton takes office in uh, 93 and we would see uh, again um, more spending but also under Clinton for the first time we would see a balanced budget and even a surplus uh, but at the same time it's kind of a perfect storm for Clinton when he enters into the 90s because the US would enter this economic boom period that was unlike any other previous uh, literally millionaires were being made overnight because of the tech uh, boom and the dot-com boom is what we called it. So, uh, in a nutshell, that's the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, again, I would pay attention and read through the PowerPoints and through your AMSCO and make sure you've got it uh, and that you review. Um, so this is Big Dub out.